Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into Microscope, everything that's happening in environmental science straight from the next generation of scientists. This show would not be possible without our sponsors at Anchor FM. Anchor FM is a streaming platform that we use to upload all of our episodes and send them to leading streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Radio Public. If you've been thinking about starting a show of your own but you don't know where to begin, check out Anchor FM today. You can join them on the web at anchor.fm. It's easy to use and it's free. This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018. So welcome and welcome back. This is episode we should know seven. 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 Oh, I, I was totally gonna say five. <laughs> I was just throwing it out in the random shot in the dark. I'm your host, Mike. I'm your other host, Kevin. And we want to talk about science with you today, or tell you about super cool studies we found on the internet. A little bit here and there. You want to go first? You want me to go first? You should go first. We got two pretty Who went first? Who studies. went first last time? I think I went first last time. Okay, so that means Shoot. you should go first again. Well, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> no, okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay. So, okay, I thought because it's the new year and like the start of a new decade. Oh, wait, I want to talk about the new decade thing. Yes. Yes. So, do you have any... New Year's resolutions. Ooh, great question. Um, but, like, not a corny one. Like, I want to be a better person. <laughs> no. You, you think I would fucking say that? Yeah, <laughs> Come I, on, Mike! <laughs> you even know me? <laughs> I, we're all horrible people. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't think of anything too specific this year. It's always just finish school faster and find new creative ways to do that. Number one, <laughs> creative ways to finish school faster. Convince Cheating. my boss that I've done enough. Oh, oh, that's like the worst. <laughs> that what I have done is enough to warrant that. Would probably be. Sure. I'll that one? That. Yeah. yeah, I really didn't think of a New Year's resolution this No, year. I didn't what either. I've been asked, and I think I've changed it up every time. Like, <laughs> it just like depends on how I'm feeling. I think that's exactly how a New Year's resolution doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> is you just change it. I don't know. I think mine is actually to go to more live music. Oh, I shit, think, bro. Well, so, you like, I've always been, back. like, super into it, but I've always been, like, oh, it's expensive, or, like, oh, I gotta, like, do all these things. But, like, new friends I have, they just, like, go all the time, so they get also tickets for free. So I'm what? just like, well, fuck it. There you go. If, if two out of three times I have to pay, but I get to go to the third one for free, fuck it. I'm doing it. Like, do it's that. it's so much fun. It's That's so much fun. It's a great resolution, and actually... If I didn't have such a history of already going to a lot more live music than most people, I would say that because I really slacked off on it last year. I probably went to, this was probably the first year I went to fewer shows than the year before. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Bad move. Bad yeah, move. It was whack sometimes, but shows are on fucking Wednesday, man. What am I gonna? What are we gonna do? I know, right? Like most of them are like Fridays, and like by the end of the week, I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh no! If it's Friday, I'm much more likely to go. Yeah. If it's Tuesday. Yeah, nobody's yeah, going on that Monday. Tuesday. Although I am going on Wednesday. Nice. Who are you seeing? <laughs> what? Who are you going to? Oh, not to a show. Just like friends want to get drinks. So oh, that's just perfect. a thing. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's so, even less likely for me to do. <laughs> no, but it's like easy. Okay, so back in. back. I want to talk about my study. Okay, so it's the new decade. You know about our New Year's resolutions. We just want to like listen and dance to more music. 
Awesome. We're just so awesome and fun people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That is totally not misrepresenting anything whatsoever. No, not at all. So because it's a new decade, I think one thing I've spent a lot of time thinking about, especially like as, you know, time progressed in the past 10 years. Remember computers 10 years ago and computers yeah. today? Imagine that now, but faster because computers and technology have just gotten better. So the study I wanted to look at, and it's less of a study and more of like a review of like what happened in the past decades and what's going to be the future, is this idea of 3D printing organs, right? Mm, so, yeah, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so the title of this article was Print Me an Organ. Why are we not there yet? Yeah, jeez, why? Fuck, right? <laughs> I was in high school. I was like, Come oh, on, we're guys. printing organs. Yeah, I'll be fine. I don't need this liver. Okay, so... Bioprinting, right, or 3D bioprinting is basically highly automated in this very advanced way to manufacture organs, right? And this includes the deposition of what this paper uh, kept calling them bioinks. Bioinks? Bioinks. So what cool. are bioinks? Okay, so <laughs> bioinks are, cons uh, they consist of like living cells, like so the stem cells that, oh. you know, will differentiate and become whatever organ you're trying to print, uh, different biomaterials, so like collagen is one of them, or uh, like... Like a matrix uh, for the cells the, to grow in, yeah. like we talked about last time. Yeah. Like meat. yeah. Or like bone, bone's another one. Mm -hmm. um, so the living so the cells... So bioink is like a solution with all these different components? So I think yeah. bioink can be like the stem cells... Or the, the different... And then just like your printer would print different colors one at a time. Exactly. So, exactly. Them up so instead of different colors, you have different cells. You have different components of that 3D matrix, as well as different growth factors. Yes. Because even if you just put these cells you know, on this structure... Yeah, they don't really want to grow. No, they need themselves. nutrients. Yeah. They need things that are going to be like, hey, move to the next step in your like, what you, cell you type you need to be. So... <clears throat> and... So you have these bioinks and it's printing them in this highly automated, super advanced like process. And the idea is that this is scalable and reproducible. So if we want to print you a liver and we want to print me a liver, we can do that. Easy. Peasy. Now is your liver and my liver going to be made with my cells and your cells respectively? Is there the... The topic of immune, like a lot of the times when people have organ transplants, there's the immune rejection. Have they touched on that in this piece? They did, yeah. And that, so, right, 3D printing. And there's like a need for this, right? Because current, you know, tissues and organs fail all the time, especially due to disease, due to just age-related things. And there's this like backs or like, uh, what is it, this bottleneck of... People who need organs and organs that are available. And even those that get these organs are on immunosuppression drugs mm -hmm. all the time. And there's yeah. just like this constant fear that like... And that puts them at risk for everything else. Everything that could else. Exactly. Because exactly. yeah. like what immunosuppressants do is they essentially like calm your immune system down yeah and your immune system like yeah you you're less likely it. to be able to fight off infection if you uh, if you're facing an infection that your body hasn't seen before it's less uh able to create the necessary antibodies and take the measures to clear that infection from exactly. your body yeah. it's immunosuppressive drugs are really a last-ditch really bad yeah yeah uh, medicine generally yeah 
That's why everyone should get vaccinated. Yeah, that comes <laughs> full circle back to that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because again, people who are on these immunosuppressive drugs for whatever, maybe they had an organ transplant, maybe they're getting cancer treatment of some kind. Those people can't be vaccinated. Therefore, please, if you can be vaccinated, you should. If you can be vaccinated. I don't care if you don't care about yourself. Yeah. But you should care about it. I hear so many people say like, oh, I don't get vac- I don't get the flu vaccine, but I get other vaccines. I was like, Phew. I mean, like, fine, at least you're doing something. Yeah, but... that one's whatever. Because the only person who's really going to suffer from that is you. Yeah. Generally. You Unless you or... give an immunocompromised person the flu from not getting your fucking flu shot. Like, yeah. Okay. Again, it's always a communal. So, right. <laughs> all these, you know, people who need these organs. And so I also want to point out that Yes, there are some people who did drugs or didn't treat their body right that need these organ replacements. But majority of the people who need organ transplants are genetic disorders or age-related diseases. And so if you feel like, I don't want to donate my organs because an alcoholic is going to get a liver. Oh, my God. No, the probability of that happening is... Fuck, do you think you are? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're dead. Sorry, get exactly. <laughs> you put it on your fucking driver's license, and when you die in a car crash, do you, you have it. You're an organ. Oh, yeah, of course. So donate organs if you can. And the big issue right now is, like I said earlier, is this bottleneck of like there's just not enough organs that we have to put in these people for the amount of people who need new organs, and that's where you know why not just print these organs right from their cells, and so. Current conventional methods for 3D printing um, is exactly how you think of when you 3D print, like with a uh, plastic or things that you see on TV, right? You know, it you have this structure that's already there, and then you just go around it and put in a bunch of cells mm-hmm. on it, and then they grow. But a scaffold, a scaffold, yeah. You have the scaffold, and then you put the cells on it. But there's a big issue because the initial seeding of cells, right, the cells that are going to like grow and like build a functional organ are usually very low because they can't get into all the nooks and crevices because it's, you know, just where they can inject the needle, yeah, I guess. Out yeah. And also like if you understand the complexity of like the microenvironment that a cell lives in, like that is incredibly difficult to replicate if you're kind of building each piece and then just shoving it together layer by layer on a it's really difficult with over this past decade there's been a lot of different sort of new technologies that have come out that sort of have allowed us to move past this seeding a scaffold form of 3d printing for organs and more into like what we would consider printing it's just like layer by layer by layer there are four different types of bioprinting that ha- were sort of developed and are at, a, I don't want to say a well workable, accepted because a of workable stage. A workable, yeah, yeah like these work. are usable. These can be used to print organs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's four different types. And I want to go just a little bit into them so you, you know, when you talk to other people about this, you'd be like, so one is extrusion bioprinting. Mm-hmm. And this is like a very easy concept. For people to understand it's like yeah especially if you're familiar with a conventional 3d printer basically exactly yes yeah, yeah it's you have this cartridge you have all these wells with all these different compounds in them these bio inks bio ink and it basically just goes through and like puts them layer by layer although the one issue with this is that think about what you're printing most of it's a liquid or a solution mm-hmm. so there's this sort of like 
structural integrity that is lost with this form of printing. That's sort of where this next method came in of this stereolithography, bioprinting. And this is where they, I'm not sure the exact, you know, molecular mechanism or the science behind it, but as they lay down the different layers, they like hit it with a certain wavelength of light mm-hmm. and it causes the things to solidify. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. induced polymerization. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. All that means is you're taking something that's a liquid in solution, you hit it with a certain wavelength of light and it will now become a solid or a yeah. semi-solid. Yeah. And, but the issue with that is like this wavelength of light that you're shooting onto this material is most of the time toxic to the cells oh, that you're right. also printing on it. Right, so yeah. extrusion printing, <laughs> structural integrity is down. Yeah, sterilithography. That's another good word. <laughs> You're killing yourselves. Yeah, and that's where this sort of like inkjet bioprinting comes in. So there's kind of like inkjet bioprinting and this micro valve based bioprinting are like kind of the same thing. From the images in the paper, mm-hmm. they seem to be. Very similar in how they like squirt nano droplets mm-hmm. onto each other, or like, and they like layer it on top of it. But one of the big differences between the two of these is that the micro valve can move much faster than the inkjet, but the inkjet is much more precise. Mm-hmm. So it's like if they can combine these two sort of like technologies, you'd be able to just print out fucking livers all the time you know those are the essentially the technologies that came about in the past decade and sort of this new decade is going to allow us to sort of like improve on these and sort of convert them into this like mass production because each of these different types has different strengths and different weaknesses and like think about how many different organs and body parts you have in your body so, you know, one can be used for one yeah, thing, one, one can be, be used for another. Yeah, yeah. Purposes. Exactly. So when they're really thinking about printing these different types of organs, there's other things that they take into consideration. So there's biomimicry. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea that they can actually form these proper niches or like microenvironments for these cells to survive in. Um, the other and like the most difficult and actually where a lot of these technologies fall through and like a super, I don't know if they said they've been able to rep, like complete this, but that vascularization. Mm-hmm. So actually putting capillaries, arteries, veins within these structures that allow the nutrients and oxygen Amazing. to be delivered to these, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cause these organs don't exist in isolation. They're no, all they, connected through the circulatory system in the body. And if you're trying to put it in the body, you need to connect it to that circulatory system so it can yeah. survive within that, you know, environment. Wow. That's fascinating how they got to do that. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's just printing. You just gotta like, that's going to take a supercomputer to like calculate that 3d model. Uh, yeah. I want to get on that. Yeah, really. Yeah. That's a job. Uh, (laughs) This is all we think about. (laughs) This is all we think about. And the other is, so this sort of takes biomimicry and this like vascularization into connection. You need to be able to print these 3D relevant biological structures. Mm -hmm. And this comes down to like different people's bodies have minute, you know, anatomically 
distinct structures. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Certainly. Okay, yeah. Like, And these are, you know, all things that sort of will be developed and need to be taken into consideration for this idea and sort of like production and implementation of 3D bioprinting to actually occur. But one other thing is that if if this is going to move into like production and be able to be put to people, you know, and save lives, there's no policies. There's no mm. guidelines. There's none of that in play. And Jeez. that was one thing they brought up at the end of this paper was just like, hey guys, the technology's almost there. We need to start talking about this yeah. and like, you know. It's a lot better to be prepared ahead of time for those kind of ethical conundrums that are in absolutely going to come up exactly. because of an yeah. emerging technology like this. So I think if you were to ask me, will we have bioprinting in the next decade? Optimistically, I'll say yes if World War Three or climate change yes. doesn't kill us first. Yeah, <laughs> that's the asterisk that you can put on anything. Pretty much. Ooh. And speaking of World War Three and climate change, I kind of picked a paper that takes into account all of that. Yes, with the transition. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you couldn't have set I'm it up. Snapping you for couldn't you. have set it up better. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this week I found a paper just came out yesterday, actually, in Science, and in our spheres, we know that the journal Science is like the shit that you want to get into. So this is a very High impact, very important piece, and yet it's not really a science paper. It is um, from their policy forum section within their journal, um, so it's a little bit more of a from a scientist's perspective, an analyst's perspective, on what um, upcoming policy inf- or what should inform upcoming policy on a given topic. Okay, okay. and the title of the piece is "Sustainable Minerals and Metals." For a low carbon future, policy coordination is needed for global supply chains. And this was done by Benjamin K. Savakul et al. From Where are they from? Uh, it said he was from Brighton, University of Sussex, Brighton, UK. Ah, uh, those English. <laughs> yeah, they have been uh, pivotal in the mineral and metal mining game since the 19th century. So fitting. Um, But now it's a whole new game given the emergence of green technologies and the reliance of these green tech and by green technologies, I mean, carbon neutral or carbon negative um, technologies such as electric cars, such as photovoltaic cells for solar energy, such as wind energy, um, such as micro micro computer components for tech in the in the colloquial sense as, as we think of it. All of these things require that very specific minerals and metals are mined from the earth. And I'm sure we've all seen uh, pictures floating around and read about in history textbooks how egregiously all of this shit has been mismanaged for over 100 years now. And this was kind of... Only 100 years. Over 100 years, at least. I mean, you could go back to the mining of like primary. Bronze Age, Iron Age were probably done in more or less the kind of the same ways they were done in the 20th century. And this um, piece kind of draws into sites that mining these minerals and metals is only going to become more important 
as our society begins to rely more and more heavily on um, things like electric cars and anything that uses a lithium-ion battery. I was literally about to ask, like, what are these? Okay, okay. Yes, so some of the uh, metals and uh, minerals, or rather the, the elemental forms of these metals... Metals, minerals, are they like kind of all the same thing? No, no. Okay, sorry. All right, so I'll mineral, take a walk. <laughs> you know, let's talk about some definitions here. So, um, uh, mineral is generally the form of an element that is found within the Earth's crust. So often they're not found in isolation. When you find iron, you don't always find it in a just iron. You may find it in iron oxide uh, mineral or a silicon iron. No, iron oxides are a big thing. Like a lot of hydrothermal vents are just surrounded yeah. by these iron oxides that form. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the distinction between a mineral could be a um, compound like an iron oxide, whereas metals are talking about specifically the elemental form of, um, of metals or as they're I think they're called elemental on the peri- on the periodic table. Yeah, because so I used to study sulfur cycling, mm-hmm. and like there was one compound. It was called elemental sulfur because mm-hmm. it was just like a bunch of sulfur connected to each other. Yeah, so it was just like elemental sulfur. So some of the metals in question that are um, described in this piece um, actually have a great figure here, um, which shows by country where the percentage of each one of these metals. The, the world supply of these metals comes from. And some of these are highly disproportionate, uh, meaning that they come from one place a lot more than anywhere else. So one that is pretty familiar generally um, to most people is cobalt, right? Cobalt is uh, elements, uh, metal used in a lot of electronic components. Uh, such really? As microprocessors huh. and the computer you Did not know that. Cobalt, yep. And I always thought most of them were made out of silicon. So back to cobalt, though, the Democratic Republic of Congo provides 64% of the world's cobalt. That's on the low side for some of these. 93% of the world's ruthenium comes from South Africa. Ruthenium. Ruthenium. I don't even know where that is. I did not the know that was an element. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of elements. We're biologists, though. We just need like five. <laughs> Wait, so there's in... in- Indium? Iradium? Indium. 57% of the world's indium comes from China. China has a lot of these. 87% of the world's antimony is from China. Oh, I know about antimony. I think yeah. that like, does something cool in a rock. <laughs> they all do something cool. <laughs> I know, I know. Wait. Otherwise, we wouldn't give a shit about them. So this, this piece was just going to show that there's really, really a disproportionate distribution of these elements in the Earth's crust. And they don't, surprise, they don't at all line up with the arbitrary political borders that human beings, mostly human beings... What are you saying, What (laughs) That countries aren't a real thing when taken into geological context? Oh, I would have never known. No? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's basically what the whole whole piece is about. Like, look, there's a geological distribution of these things that we're going to need in order to decarbonize, decarbonate, decarbonize, I think decarbonize our economy... Uh, meaning relying on carbon neutral energy sources and carbon neutral. Yeah, so in the vein of decarbonating the earth. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, or rather human processes, human e- economic uh, processes on the earth. Uh, a lot, what you would expect from a science paper is that they talk about all the new technologies that we could use in order to more sustainably mine these uh, minerals and metals. But surprise, it really wasn't that. It was really all policy recommendations which seem very straightforward, which is what a lot of the stuff when we talk about climate change mitigation policy, it's, it's these, te- policy. these it's technologies exist yeah. and they, for in some cases, have existed since the 30s, like nuclear energy, for instance. Re- oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so among these policy recommendations um, and the way they introduce this section of the paper uh, verbatim is they write... With these sobering social and environmental aspects of current mineral extraction in mind, we suggest four policy recommendations. The first recommendation they suggest is to diversify mining enterprises for local ownership and livelihood dividends. And I literally couldn't have said it better myself. Um, a lot of the social plagiarism. You already said cultural, their name. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Overwhelmingly, most of the social and cultural um, damage that mining does to communities is that the profits from these mining enterprises are not not shared, but not given to the people who literally did the backbreaking fucking labor to take these things out of the earth. And this is what they suggest in the first place is make sure that the local areas where these resources are being mined from that the businesses extracting those are owned by the communities. And therefore, this does two things. This puts the um, edifice of environmental sustainability, making sure things are uh, clean all the way through, making sure that any products that are made with these raw materials are seen through their entire life cycle to when they're uh, done being used to be recycled. Make sure that at the beginning, all of that is in the hands of the individuals who are actually going to be affected by having a mining operation where they actually live. I So I agree that sounds like an awesome idea, but how does that go into practice? Because I feel like you, you can write a law and then like you probably just need someone who like lives there. But like the person who like gets most of the money – probably somewhere else and that's always been the problem it's basically in a nutshell and to put it not quite in a total parallel but it's just unionization of the mining practices to to the most extreme degree where the individual miners are in fact the shareholders of the mining enterprise and have that be not some multinational corporation that is sending people to these areas where these resources are again just geologically distributed um, but in fact, use this as an opportunity to bring those communities out of poverty by giving the efficacy, self-efficacy to them rather than to fucking Exxon or not Exxon for these specific things. But that would be a example of a huge company that we all know about who is in the business of extracting raw materials from the earth. So they're, they're kind of basically suggesting put policies in place that will cut off that kind of monopolization of these resources and the extraction of these resources kind of cut that off at the head by making sure that the people doing the work are the people benefiting from it directly now if that means that the mining executive can't buy another private jet i'm not gonna tweet too hard about it i hope you won't either (laughs) um i'm not tweaking (laughs) (laughs) 
The second thing they recommend is acknowledge the limits of traceability. And that basically is meaning once these uh, mining companies have extracted the metals from the earth and they go on to the, the companies that are actually producing the products, like they brought, they called out some motherfuckers by name here. They called out Samsung and Apple um, and Toshiba, I think. Make sure that they too are held accountable for not only the way in which these resources are mined from the earth, but also are they being used as efficiently as um, sustainably in their own production supply chains. And also make sure they're on the hook for what happens when these products reach the end of their life cycle. Mike, when's the last time you had a laptop or phone shit out on you and you had to recycle? replace it? Yeah. Well, I had sensors in my car breakdown. Yeah. So those are like electronics. Those count. Yeah, that yeah, counts. Yeah, yeah, what do yeah. you think? So the shop took the old ones out. What do you think? Oh, they, they fucking threw it in the trash. Mm. I, well, actually, I don't know. I feel like I have no idea. Yeah. Lots of different things can happen. But do you think Nissan was on the hook for what happened to that shit after that? No, they yeah, weren't. Absolutely not. That's a big fundamental paradigm shift that they really see. So yeah, that's what they were talking about. Just make sure that the supply chain is transparent and regulated in a sense where producers are on the hook from when it's taken out of the earth to when it's thrown in the trash or recycled to make sure that there can be a high degree of reuptake, especially for these rare earth elements that do require such an initial investment in time and energy into extracting. And the... Um, other one they brought up was explore new resource streams and that was basically meaning if we can find different ways to extract um, some of these rare earth elements such as metal availability in seawater this came up really cool like filtering it Ooh. out of seawater such as desalination or groundwater in geothermal brines which i'm imagining is a groundwater source which is very high in these uh, salts and metals and if you can kind of skim it out of there, that'd be another way to obtain them. But the bigger thing they stressed was recycling. How well are we able to recycle and reintroduce these same raw elements back into the supply chain without having to extract further um, from the earth? Because again, just like crude oil, these are finite resources. These are not renewable. What we have on the planet right now is what we got barring a huge asteroid full of platinum crushes us. <laughs> that just lands safely yes. in an area that For we can some, easily... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mine. Yes. Super plausible. Yeah, exactly. Super plausible. So they had a really incredible um, statistic in here about the, the prospects for recycling, and especially um, lithium-ion batteries, which we all know are in fucking everything now. Everything. We know that lithium is one of those things that needs to be mind like literally in front of us there's one two and we both have our phones on us yeah so we have four devices four. that are utilizing lithium ion batteries the u.s national renewable energy laboratory estimates that 65 percent of the u.s domestic cobalt um, demand in 2040 could be supplied by end of life lithium ion batteries provided a robust take back and recycling infrastructure is in place yeah we could recycle 65 percent of the or the the demand for cobalt 65 percent of it could be met purely by recycling think of how much that's cutting down with the upfront investment of having to extract cobalt from the democratic republic of congo where the the um, 
greatest reserves. I think on. we said seventies. It was in the seventy percent of the world supply. Of the world supply DRC, but that sixty-five percent was sixty-five percent of the United States domestic cobalt demand. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. So this was really. And the final thing they brought up was incorporate these policies into our climate and energy planning. It's that in order to meet these needs, sure, we have all these technologies, but these technologies also require different resources than carbon-based technologies had in the past. So this is also an important thing to um, head off at the get-go before it becomes a problem. It's basically what this whole paper was about. It's like, we need to think about this now because if we're going to use these technologies that exist today to decarbonate our economy, uh. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to bear in mind who is going to be most affected um, by the increased demand for these rare earth elements and metals and who is going to profit from it. And this was just a collection of suggestions that it should be the people who live in the places where they exist by the, I don't want to say lottery of geological formation of the earth but i think it's kind of i think the lottery is yeah i mean it's it's crapshoot yeah i guess you know yeah so that was a this was kind of a hopeful paper in that we know we have the technology to decarbonate and there (laughs) there are means to do it in an equitable way which won't sacrifice our ideals of social justice that we so embody not embody but we like to say we embody in the united states well I, I, I'm really seeing a theme of like a lot of things that we talk about and it's very much like humans as a species were in the past very, I don't want to say tribalistic, maybe we could say more nationalistic, although that may be... Nationalism is just modern tribalism. It's modern tribalism. Yeah. yeah, it's very much like United States. This is us. This we do this. Or like, yeah, exactly. But when you look at a geological um, distribution of hafnium throughout the world, of which forty three percent is in France, the the country of France is just an arbitrary line drawn around these hafnium yeah. veins. <laughs> hafnium. Is how I see it. <laughs> but it's also just like a lot of things we've come to realize that like. We need to take a more global approach. Precisely. We, is, we yeah. will not survive. I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't like talking about is the fact that like our species will die off and society yeah, will collapse. We, or like really a lot of people are going to... Yeah, yeah. We're all going to die if we don't accept that country borders were just made on bullshit exactly. 200 years exactly. ago. And now we know better so we can really just leave it in the past. And we need to make steps to not be in the wild west of printing organs and putting them in people. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's totally that. in 1984. So <laughs> excerpt. So I think to close out with each episode is sort of like what you can take home. And I think it's it's this idea of like, yes, it's awesome for you to be proud that you're like an American or you're an Italian or you're... Australian, or you're like Indian. I don't know. I'm just yeah, leaving off countries. But like, have the conversation less tribalistic. I love that word, tribalistic, yeah. and more like we are a group of fucking semi-intelligent, conscious mm-hmm. living beings on a planet who that have, like who have colonized every landmass on this planet. Yeah, we need to 
realize that we need to work as a group and not as individual pieces. I think, yeah. Boom. It's kind of like, what looks the prettiest? A bunch of puzzle pieces spread out across the table or that final product? (laughs) That was so lame. Put that in a children's so book, lame. Mike. You gotta write it, illustrate it. It was good though. Wasn't it like was good. Real yeah. Bad. No. Yeah. It wasn't like trash. Yeah. Sorry, we came with that advice right after the holidays, but I'm sure you'll see. Your what was good? Like take this into later. the new decade. Everybody's. That's our take home yeah, message. There you go. And that'll pretty much be our message every time, because that's kind of what science tells us. Yeah. Science is what has told us that this is the way it is. We didn't learn that by war and politics. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you mean we killing mass amounts of people isn't the right it's, thing to do? Yeah. Uh, it's so ridiculous sometimes when we say these things. Yeah, especially uh, from our position where we know it to be factually accurate. Yeah. 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 All right. On that note, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And. <laughs> I forgot how we close. We're <laughs> signing out. No, we don't do that. <laughs> See you all later. Take you or you listen to you later. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Microscope, brought to you by WISP. To learn more, join us on the web at wispmedia.com slash microscope. M-I-K-R-O-S-C-O-P-E. We'll see you next time.